If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. This morning is the text that we're getting into, and we've been in a three-week series where we've been talking about um, the relationship between the Christian and God and money, and uh, we've, we've, if you've been here for this series, you know that the, the aim or the thrust of this series has, has not been in any way to try to get to a point where we're telling you as a church, you need to be giving more and this is how much you need to be giving and you need to have this percentage and here's your rules for that. Really what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to have a, a biblically informed understanding of what does it mean to be a Christian in a world that functions with currency? And the Bible has a lot to say about this, things that are, that are about the heart, things where, where the Bible is talking about money can so easily become an idol and a god uh, to us. And so how do we live generously? How do we give generously? How do we function as people in an economy? And today, what we really want to get into is asking the question, what is your personal theology of, of money or of giving or of generosity? Have you ever thought through what you really believe about the function of material wealth in your life? It's an interesting question and one that you will, you will spend the rest of your life wrestling with. What do I functionally really believe about the place of, of, of resources and wealth? And I want to get into this uh, with us today. If you're, if you're married, if you're in this room and, you, and, you're, and you're married, this is, this is a question that isn't just yours, um, but it's your, your family's question. That's something that you wrestle with together as a unit. Everybody in here has a working habit of generosity right now. Some of them are calculated. Some of them are things where you've thought it through. You've thought, okay, this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to give to these things. I'm going to support these ministries or these causes. Or, or some of us, we've never really thought through it at all, and, and sort of our financial life just sort of happens. The bills come in, and if there's enough, we pay the bills out, and we spend the money on the things that we don't really even think about. It's just where it all goes. Um, what role does, you know, God have in how we think about money? Every Halloween, our kids go trick-or-treating, and we have been fortunate to find a neighborhood where there's really good trick-or-treating <laughs> that we take our kids to, and they end up coming home with, with bags and bags and bags of, of, of candy, and at the end of a trick-or-treating night, there's a thing that happens in our house that I refer to as the dad tax. And the dad tax is where we get all the candy together, and then I go through it to make sure that there's no rat poison or hypodermic needles embedded in, you know, the candy. And then, and then at the end of that, um, I, I take a tax out of that. And the, and the tax is, 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 you know how... People, we tax things differently. Um, the same goes with, with Halloween candy, that there are certain candies that are duty-free. Anything with nougat is duty-free. They get all that. There's no tax on any of that. Bottle caps, you know what I'm talking about? Bottle caps, it's little candies. They, they have a pretty high tax rate. They're about 70%, maybe, <laughs> maybe 100%, depending on supply and demand and how the market is but but see here's the thing here's the reason this there's this 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 supply and demand thing and there's this role that I'm playing and and this is the cost of doing business for the kids and they know, they know it they know that I take them out in their costumes right 
And I buy the gas that gets us to the neighborhood where we trick-or-treat. And I was instrumental, even if only a little bit, in giving them life. And so they live to dress up as puppies and butterflies and tigers and clone troopers by my fiat, right? Hence, at the end of the night, they submit to my inspection and taxation and all is right with the world and I get mine and then they get theirs. See, is this how Christians are supposed to understand generosity? That God gave me everything I have. He put me here. Everything that is in my life comes from Him. And so it's only fair that I would return a portion of what I'd gathered to the Lord because after all, He did give me life and it's only fair that I would pay this this tax. Is that what giving is? Is giving a tax that we owe to God to keep things fair and to keep the machine moving? Do you ever think about this? What percentage of what you possess belongs to you? What percentage of what you possess is your own that you, and what do you owe to God that you have to pay for the right to live? I think when, it's so easy for Christians to talk about giving in a very guilty way. It's so easy for pastors to have an ulterior motive when preaching about giving that I want to see more in the offering plate. And there's that tension there of what are we doing? What do we really think about money? If a church is talking to people and saying, hmm, you all need to be giving more because God can't do what he means to do through this congregation unless we get more from you. I've just, I've just spoken heresy to you if I've said that. God doesn't need anything. He owns everything. But yet, Scripture talks so much about the grip of wealth and resources that's on us that just can get our heart and become our God to the point that when we begin to talk about generosity and giving and, and, and who owns what, we really start to see ourselves as, as, as people who um, need to pay a tribute to God in order to keep Him pleased with us, which is known throughout history and around the world as idolatry bringing a, 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 a sacrifice to a God in order to appease them and curry their favor. And every page of Scripture, God says, that's not me. That's not how I function. That's not how I deal with you. I don't need you to give me anything. Plus, you can't give me enough to awaken pleasure in me. God's pleasure comes from himself and who he is and how he loves and his mercy and his grace. But I can't buy God's happiness. So what is your theological understanding of the things that are in your possession? What 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 does that play in your life? What, What role? When you delve into your own giving habits and the reasons behind them, you're unpacking a world of a working theology, of a practical understanding of who God is to you. Do you owe God money? Are you behind on your taxes to God? 
does some of your money belong to him and the rest of it belongs to you? We're going to dig into this. And the goal is not to leave with a, here's the percentage you need to give as a Christian, or here's the dollar amount, or here's the way that you need to give. Before we get even into the question of how, we really need to understand the question of why. Why is it important for us as Christians to understand our relationship with the material possessions in our care? And so that's what we're going to get into. We're going to look at a really strange, fascinating picture uh, from Scripture, a passage where, where Jesus is confronted. And so I want to read this. This is Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to dig into this. They sent, him, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk, trap Jesus in his talk. And they came to him, and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, that you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you're not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Before we unpack what is happening here in this passage of Scripture, just appreciate that this is what what must have been an eye-rolling moment for Jesus. When these guys come up to him and they just butter him up, right? It would be like me saying to Chad here, Chad, I like you. You're a master of diction, personal hygiene. You take good care of yourself. You represent your family well. Your parents, when they come to town, they're like minor celebrities. That's because of you. I got a question for you now. And then I ask him a question that's meant to trap him, right? Do you like Carly more today than you did yesterday? Yes. yes. So what was wrong with you? But you see that? I mean, we do that. He did. Chad's a little too honest for this exercise. But that's what they're doing. They're going up to Jesus and they're saying, hey, listen, we know things about you. We know you're true. You don't care about anybody's opinion. We know that, that you're not swayed by appearances. That you only teach the law of God. So we have this, this question we want to ask you. They've sort of buttered him up, but he knows that the question is a trap. It's meant to be a trap. And here's why it's a trap. He's asking this, they're asking this question about paying taxes um, to Caesar. Why is that a trap? Well, here's why. We need to understand this. Rome opposed everything that the Israelites believed about God. The Israelites were committed monotheists. There was one God. They worshipped one God. And Rome accepted all kinds of gods. They recognized many gods. They even recognized and said, they, didn't recognize, they said that Caesar, by right of the providence of him being Caesar, must then therefore be divine. So they regarded Caesar as a god himself. And another problem was that Rome had taken Israel by force. 
It wasn't like they were welcomed. It wasn't that Israel was in political trouble and they asked Rome, hey, can you help us bring order to where we are? Rome came. And so in Israel's mind, this question of paying taxes, which Rome demanded from the Israelites, was the question that they're sort of asking Jesus here in their minds is, should I have to give the bully my lunch money? That's the question that they're asking Jesus. What do you say? Should I have to give the bully my lunch money? And on top of that, these taxes were collected by Rome in order to fortify Rome's hold over Israel. So you can see this tension that people live in, that to pay taxes to Rome is really to betray Israel. It's really to fortify Rome against Israel. And so in a way, it's a treasonous act to fund Rome's stranglehold over Israel. And most of the people who paid taxes to Rome lived in this guilt. They felt this guilt. So the trap that they're setting for Jesus is is this. They ask him this impossible question. What they're trying to get Jesus to do is, it's this, can they get Jesus to publicly oppose paying taxes to Rome and get him in trouble with Rome? Or can they get Jesus to publicly support paying taxes to Rome and get him in trouble with the Israelites? That's the question. Is they're thinking no matter how he answers this, he's going to be in trouble. He's either going to lose credibility with his audience or he's going to have Rome breathing down his neck. And so this is the trap that they set. Now, let's stop here for a second. The question that they're asking Jesus reaches deep. There's underlying presumptions in this question. And the underlying presumption, one of them, is the question of rightful ownership. Who owns what? What is yours exclusively and what isn't? Who has a right to the money that you make? Who owns the house that you live in or the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive. This, at its core, isn't even really about who gets to own your stuff, right? Who owns your stuff is an indicator of something deeper. And that is, what are your rights? And who can infringe upon them? Who can come to you and say, hey, I need you to do something for me? And you can say, you can't ask that of me because I have rights, and that violates my rights. And I don't have to relinquish my rights to you. I have rights, and I'm going to hold those rights as my own. When our rights get violated, we, we can resent deeply, right? Have you ever had your rights violated? Somebody presume upon you and say, I need you to do this for me. And you think there's no reason in the world I should have to do that for you. Do you know what Jesus is about to do with this question? It's what he does with questions like this. He's about to explode their categories. And he does it like this. He asks for a denarius, a Roman coin. Now, there's a bit of irony in the way that he reveals their hypocrisy because they come to him and they say, who should we pay taxes to, Rome or Caesar? Or Caesar, or, or should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he asks them for a denarius and they produce one. Now, that, reduce, that, produ- that reveals hypocrisy. And the reason it reveals hypocrisy is because they're currently actively already involved in the Roman economy. That when he asks for a Roman coin, they have a Roman coin. So are they really saying, because their question is, should we participate in the Roman economy or not? Well, give me a denarius, all right? And so they reach in their pocket and pull one out. They're already players in the game, you know? They have a denarius on them. They give it to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. He says, uh... Uh, who's on this coin? And they say, Caesar. And that's when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, what bears his image. 
And it's a rebuke here. Because he's saying to them, look, as long as you function, and as long as you benefit from this economy, it's fitting for Rome to tax you, you benefit from it. He's not saying that their occupation of the promised land is right or wrong. He's not defending that. But what he is saying is, you're in the system. You already function in this economy. And as long as you function in this economy, you do enjoy certain things. You do have, you're oppressed, but you have some protection as well. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So he doesn't fall into that side of the trap of opposing Roman tax. He doesn't say, uh, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. He says, if you have the Roman coins in your pocket, you're already a player in the game. But it's what he says next that explodes it. He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God what is God's. How did he set this up? He held up the coin and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. He said, okay, then what has Caesar's image belongs to Caesar? And what has God's image belongs to God? So the question then is, what bears God's image? And the answer from Genesis 1, the very first chapter of Scripture, is you do. You do. This isn't even an economy question. What bears God's image? Render unto Caesar the things that bear the image of Caesar and render unto God the things that bear the image of God. What bears the image of God? People, mankind, we're made in his image and his likeness. What Jesus is saying is this, give to Caesar's the coin that bear his image and give to God your whole self. Everything that you have, everything that you are. Why is Caesar's image on the denarius? Because he's building his kingdom. He's building his empire, his currency. Are we that different from Caesar, really? We talked last week about the currencies that we use in our lives, of abilities, reputations, titles, connectedness, money. Whose image is stamped on the currency that you use to build your kingdom and to establish your worth and your place in this world? What kingdom are you building? See, I know it's so easy for me to believe that I'm the owner of the things that I possess. I'm the owner of my reputation. I'm the owner of my ability. I'm the owner of my connections with other people that have the opportunity to advance me in life. I'm the owner of my home and my car and my money and all the things that I possess. And my face then is on that currency. It's me. I'm building a kingdom in my own image to my own likeness. And so when this is what I believe, when I believe that that the currency is really about the kingdom that I'm building for myself, then my time is mine, my talents are mine, my money is mine, and my attitude toward giving is that when I'm lending a hand, I'm just doing you a favor out of the generosity of my own heart. I'm just, I'm, I'm being a good guy. And that's how we look at it, is I'm Part of what I'm getting out of my own generosity is, is a reputation for being generous, which reflects well on me. But what if? What if the resources at your disposal aren't yours? What if the resources at my disposal aren't mine? How does that change the way that I think about giving, about generosity, about saving, about spending? What Jesus is teaching us here 
is about ownership and stewardship, about what is mine and what belongs to God. And so when I said that we're going to talk about Christian giving and what that looks like, I wonder where our minds go with this, because some of us, we just want to know, just tell me, am I supposed to tithe or not? Am I supposed to give 10% of my money? And if I am supposed to give 10% of my money, is that supposed to be 10% of the net or 10% of the gross, right? And others of us would say, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't have to have that conversation as a Christian. Your generosity and your giving should be something that is private between you and the Lord, and there's no prescription. And then the other side would come back and we would say, yes, okay, that may be true, but really are you going to try to defend that anybody should give less than 10%? You see how that gets stuck? We're stuck around a number as if, as if we're trying to figure out how much the dad tax is with God. How much do I owe him? I get asked this question a lot. What do you think about giving? How much should a person give? My answer is slippery. <laughs> My answer is probably more than you do. You know, because if you're asking the question, how much should I give, it's from a mentality of, I want to get up to the line. I want to get up to the line. I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you bear God's image. Everything that you have in our belongs to him. Your whole life belongs to him. But heaven forbid we get bogged down in trying to figure out what is the number, what is the percentage. Jesus is taking us far away from that, far away from the percentage, the dollar figure, the whole debate of whether we base our giving on our net or our gross. And what he's saying is, your money doesn't bear God's image, you do. You bear God's image, you then, you then are the currency of the kingdom of heaven. It's not money. You know, what if, what if Midtown Fellowship had a windfall of cash and we built the best building in this city and it was decked out? All of you have things that you wish Midtown had that we don't. What if we bought every one of them? You know, the parking was better. We owned the whole block, you know. We've got TVs everywhere. We've got, we've got, it's just everything. All the appointments are there. Everything is perfect. We're, we've got 50 people on staff. If you need somebody to spend an entire week with you, we have that, you know? What if, what if we had that kind of wealth? The question still is, well, okay, would Midtown be a better church? Would Midtown be a stronger church for the gospel in this city because we had more things? No. And the reason is, is because the currency of the kingdom of heaven, what the Lord says, this is what I'm going to use to build my church, isn't stuff. It's people. That he says, you, go and proclaim the gospel to the four corners of the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's God's providence. He could have revealed himself in any number of ways. And what he said is, I am going to use my people to proclaim the gospel of my son that people would know me. That's the currency of the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, they think that they're owners and they think that it's unjust for Rome to take their money. Their problem is, is they don't have any money. It's not theirs. Jesus is saying, look, if this world belongs to God and all that is in it comes from his hand and if he is the author of life, then all the gold in the world 
is just monopoly money. To God, you're the currency. He has a purpose for your life to use you to bring others to himself. Jesus is calling us to something deep here, brothers and sisters, something deep. And he's saying, understand, understand that you bear the image of God. In all your anxiety over money, in all your fear over making ends meet, in realizing dreams and potential, Jesus is calling us out of the slavery to the master of money into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And to say, look, God owns everything. He owns everything. He knows all of your needs. He knows all of your perceived needs. He knows everything that you need and he provides it for you. And he knows everything that he withholds from you that you so desperately want. And he has you in this place where your heart is crying out, Lord, you know what I want, what I just feel like I can't go on without, that if only I had this, everything would be clear and every way would be open to me and you don't have it. And the reason you don't have it is because God is being profoundly good to you. If all this is true, What does a biblical theology of ownership and stewardship look like for your life? David, we read this passage earlier together, but David said it like this. This was after they built the temple and they were consecrating the temple. David prayed this prayer. The people had gathered together resources and and money and time and work and and all these things, craftsmanship, and they had built this, this temple and David prays this prayer and I want you to hear it again. He says, who am I? By the way, he's the king of Israel is who he is, but he says, who am I? And what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. That's us, you know? We're still just sojourners in this place, like all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, He says, there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. That is an amazing passage of scripture for understanding the theology of ownership and stewardship because what's he saying? He's saying everything that we have, everything that we have comes from God. Everything. And that we're sojourners in this world. We're not permanent residents. So he never transfers ownership of anything to us. We're just stewards. And so all of our spending and all of our saving and all of our giving and all of our serving, that's just a steward's privilege. That's a privilege to be able to put to use the things that he gives us. And David describes this generosity. If you noticed at the end, he talks about in uprightness of heart, I freely offered these things. I know that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. What he's saying is the way that we understand and interact with the resources at our disposal is really a test of our honesty before God. And David is saying the way that the people have responded by freely and joyously giving to you is honest. 
It's honest about what they own and what God owns. It's honest about the fact that they're only stewards in this place and that, that they bear his name and that they bear his image and that they're building a place for his glory. He said it's an honest thing for us to give freely and generously. And it's a dishonest thing for us to hoard and to gather and to collect for ourselves as though we're the owners. He has a purpose for our lives, God does. Everything that he gives comes from his hand and everything that he withholds is a part of his wise providence for us. So we're called to understand what we really believe about resources, about wealth, about generosity, about giving, about how we interact with the things that are in our world. And there's practical application for us to say, okay, then why? Why do we give? Why are we generous with our money, with our time, with our abilities? Why do we serve? Why do we contribute to the things that are going on around us? What's essential about this? Why is God calling us to do this so many places in the pages of Scripture? And there are two that I just want to point out, two big categories of why it's important for us to be generous and to be giving people and to have a biblically informed understanding of wealth. And the first is for the external good that it does. You know, Midtown doesn't make widgets that we sell on the market to fund the ministry of Midtown, right? We don't, we don't have product here. And it's not just Midtown. There's other, other ministries and things that are happening in this world where they need your generosity to help support and further those ministries so that wells can be dug and clean water and medicine and homeless people can be, can be housed and can be fed and people can be helped and, and, and marriages can be reconciled and children can be loved on and ministered to so that we can hear the gospel, so we can understand, so that we can be drawn into community. There's tons of external reasons why it's important for us to give as stewards, as a steward's privilege of giving. But then there's also the internal good the internal good of giving, of having this um, intentional, calculated approach to saying, Lord, I want to be a disciplined person in the way that I interact in an ongoing way with the resources in my life. I want to yield to this rhythm of trusting you, of being generous. When you bring things into my care, I want there to be a rhythm in that where I am responding to you with trust, where I am responding to you and acknowledging, Lord, there's so much capacity in my heart to make an idol out of money. Would you help me in that? Would you arrest me in that? Would you develop habits in me of generosity and giving and holding things with an open hand so that, so that I don't become a lover of money? so that I don't look at wealth, so I don't look at things as, as, as the things that hold my security and my future, but that I understand that you alone do that. When your generosity is a part of a, of a, of a rhythm of trusting God, the Lord is reminding you, you bear his image, you're the currency, you're the currency in this kingdom that he's using you to build his church on earth, that he's using you to proclaim the gospel here. It's so easy to approach the question of generosity from the angle of bare minimum. How much am I supposed to give? Just give me the number and I'll do it. But the gospel calls you to regard your resources in a different way. It's the way that David prayed. Our days on earth are like a shadow. There's no abiding. And what he means by there's no abiding is there's no permanence. You can't beat it. 
You can't beat the fact that your days on this earth are limited and numbered. Well, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. So then it's not a question of how much. Because you understand that the answer to that question is, well, how much? Everything that I have and am. Me. I'm the currency that bears his image. And so you're liberated then to dig into the question that is so much more fun. And that is, Lord, how would you use this sojourner in this little window of eternity to reveal you to this world? How would you use everything that I have and everything that I am for that? You're God's currency for gospel transformation in this world. And so I pray that you would hold everything, not just money, not just generosity, not just things, but your own identity, that you would hold it with a very open hand before the Lord and yield to the rhythm that he has for you to be continually coming before him and saying, Lord, train my heart. I'm so prone to wander into idolatry when it comes to money. Help me to understand that everything that I need and everything that I am and have comes from you. Pray with me. Father, there's a tension in us to to always want to trade in uh, the liberty and the freedom and the beauty uh, and the wideness of the gospel for just rules. Just tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. Father, if we develop our habits of giving and generosity out of a legalistic rigidity to rules, we will never give joyfully. Um, We will give to protect our own kingdoms. We will give to treat you like a bale, like a a golden calf, like, like an idol that we're paying to appease and to buy your joy and your favor. Father, forgive us for that. We repent of that. We do that in so many ways. We do it with the money that we give. We do it with the prayers that we pray. We do it with so many things in our lives where we just are are working so hard and even calling it worship where really what we're trying to do is keep you from being angry with us and keep you at bay. Lord, would you meet us here in this place of our finances where everything is just kind of so unvarnished and and open and and, uh, revealing the way that we spend our money. Uh, would you meet us here and would you tell us the story of our own practical theology of, of who owns what? Uh, Lord, would you, would you lead us into that place? Would you cultivate in us a dependence and a trust on you? In you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and for your glory. Amen.